Amen. You may be seated, but as you're seated, let's uh, speak the name of Jesus. Aren't we grateful we can speak to Jesus? Amen. Lord Jesus, you are our all and in all. And you is all we need. And Lord, we thank you that your name is a strong tower and the righteous can flee into you, your name, and they're saved. Lord, we pray for those who need your name in their hearts now. We pray, Lord, this morning for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Oh, Lord God, give your mercy and grace and protection. And oh, Lord, in the midst of this ordeal, may your people be comforted by your presence and may, as only you can, there be opportunity for the light to shine in the darkness. Oh, God, we pray for your people, those that are there in such terrible trial. Have mercy, O oh God. And Lord, we speak peace to those even in our region. We think of those who have lost so much in the torrential rains here in Tennessee and the surrounding area. Lord God, would you be merciful. Pray for families. Pray for us as your people in situations where we have opportunity to be your hands, to give help, to your voice to give comfort so lord may we be ones who speak jesus and now lord jesus we thank you that we have your word and your word is your voice and now lord may our hearts this morning truly be in prayer saying speak lord your servant is listening and all god's people said Amen. Well, turn in your Bible, if you would, to that passage that we listened and joined along as Andrew read it for us. Luke chapter 17. We welcome all of you. So glad you're here this morning. You that are joining online, also those that are over in the hub for the service over there. If you're our guest or you're with us just recently, we're in a journey through this wonderful gospel, the gospel of Luke. I remember many years ago, actually it was in September of 1988, that Susan and I were able to make a, a trip down to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, where um, a friend of mine in ministry had gone to be pastor of a church, he asked me to come and speak a, a week of meetings there, services. And so I was glad to do that, and we went down. And I think it was about the second day that we were there. Of course, had the afternoon free. Susan and I decided to go out to local mall. And um, we were walking around, as I remember. And then I thought my eyes were tricking me when I looked down the mall and I saw various groups of people wearing white robes walking around the mall and walking up to people. And finally, a, a group of them came up to me and Susan, 
wearing these white robes. And they said, are you ready? Are you ready? And I'm, I don't know if there's a sales event or something, you know, I don't, you know, yeah. But then I, it clicked. Oh, this is that week. Yes, this is that week, the, the week of Rosh Hashanah, uh, the week surrounding Yom Kippur, and someone has written a book called 88 Reasons Jesus Must Come Back in 88, and proved from the Bible that Jesus would come at that Jewish festi festival in 1988. And 4.3 million copies of that book were sold. And these people, they put on robes to, I guess that's what you put on when you, you know this is time. And they were going around asking people, are you ready? Are you ready? I can't tell you how many people back in that day were troubled by what that book was saying as it went around our country and other countries. Well, slight miscalculation. <laughs> and the author, uh, Edgar Wisnant, said that he had miscalculated, yes, and it was actually 1993. <laughs> and then, apologized, another slight miscalculation, he didn't, he didn't give room for the fact that there wasn't a year zero, and so it would be in 1994. Neither one of those two books sold quite as well as the first one. Over the years, I cannot tell you how many times, you know, I have experienced people who've been troubled, been alarmed because they have heard dates set or they're now fresh insights, books like the Bible Code that explains all things, the blood moon that's coming, and that's the sign. The Bible's very clear on that. Y2K and the rapture, Gulf War and the sign of the last days, and more honestly, and recently now, the global pandemic. And a lot of folks have figured that out, put it out on YouTube, put it out on Facebook, those great purveyors of truth that we have today. <laughs> now, friends, let me tell you, that is more than foolish and a waste of time. And it is foolish and it's a waste of time. But more than that, these kinds of teachings and presentations, they promote pride, they promote fear, they promote division among the body of Christ, and they are dangerous. And the reason they are the most dangerous is because they distract believers from the real mission of Jesus Christ on this earth. Amen. 
Now we know in God's word all he wants us to know. Everything God wants us to know to inform us about the last days and about the return of the Lord Jesus, he is placed in his book and there are no more books he's giving to add to that. Now the text that we have today is some of the very first things that Jesus said about his reign and about his return. And they're so helpful for us. I think maybe even in this day of confusion and challenge and yes, false and misinformation about what God is doing, I think what Jesus says here is very helpful for us, very timely. Of course, it's timely because it's his word, right? Now, I want you to consider what Jesus says in this passage. And we want to do it under two headings here. I think they'll be helpful. First, what does Jesus say about the reign of the king? His reign as king. And what does Jesus say here about the return of the king? Now, let's look first of all. What does Jesus say about the reign of the king? Look at verse 20 as Jesus has a question put to him by the Pharisees. And being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Now, we're not certain of the motive of the Pharisees in asking this question, whether it was an honest question or a trick question, an attempt to trick. We know that most of the time their motives were not all that pure, Right? But you need to remember this. When Jesus was on this earth, this is helpful, helps us understand the ministry and teaching of Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, it was a time of incredible messianic hope. That people were hoping for the Messiah because of the prophecies that had been given through the Jewish prophets. Especially Daniel. Especially Daniel's prophecy that we know as the 70 weeks prophecy. Many people believed in understanding that prophecy that the time was near for the Messiah to come. And many of them in their lifetimes could remember that it was just 30 years ago when some wise men, magi from the area of Babylon, came asking the question, what? Where is he that is born? King of the Jews. And so you have to understand, in the years surrounding Jesus' life, there was a great messianic anticipation that the kingdom of God was at hand, that Messiah was near. Now, Jesus... And his teaching constantly talked about what? The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus talked about the kingdom more than anybody else. The good news of the kingdom. And now on this occasion, when Jesus is asked, he's asked a very pointed prophetic question. He's asked a very pointed 
and very prophetic question. He is asked by these Pharisees about when would the kingdom of God appear? He's asked that question. And Jesus answers them with two truths about the kingdom. Notice this. He answers their question with two truths about the kingdom. The first one is he answers giving information about the meaning of the kingdom of God. What, what does the kingdom of God mean? We, we need to make sure we understand that. What's the meaning of the phrase the kingdom of God? Well, in the broadest sense, the phrase the kingdom of God means the place where God rules. God's rule, God's authority. And so in the highest sense, God's kingdom is always and everywhere because, brothers and sisters, He rules and reigns over all things. God is in charge. But the kingdom of God in reference to mankind this is what we need to understand. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, when he's asked about the kingdom of God, it's in reference to mankind. And the Bible describes a, a procession of the manifestation of the kingdom of God in relation to men and women on this earth. How does the Bible begin? It begins with the Garden of Eden. The kingdom God, His children, perfect union. Of course, we know sin brought ruin and curse. But then the kingdom of God was with the sons of Seth, the descendants of Seth, the people who knew the name of God. They followed the ways of God. Then you read in Genesis how God's kingdom was manifested in Noah and his family in the midst of a world of unbelief and utter depravity. There's this kingdom of God manifested in righteous Noah, his family. And then we read in the Bible how God reveals himself to Abraham, enters into a covenant with Abraham. And that Manifest, manifestation of God's presence and power is with Abraham and with his sons, his children, the patriarchs. And then God manifests his kingdom through the people of Israel that he calls out of slavery. These descendants of Abraham who are called out of slavery, taken to the promised land. They are the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And out of Israel came these prophecies that a Savior is coming. And when Jesus came to this earth, He came as the King. And He brings the manifestation of the kingdom with Him. He ascended back to heaven after His resurrection. He sent the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit resides within God's people. <laughs> the church... And God's true people, not just people who attend church, but people who are His true followers, they are the manifestation of the kingdom of God on the earth. So you see, in a sense, the kingdom of God means how is God being manifested to mankind 
at any particular time in history. So that helps us understand a little bit about it. But I want us to go back to the question of the Pharisees because Jesus answered with two truths about the kingdom. He first helped them understand the meaning of the kingdom. He's been preaching about that. But then they ask, when is the kingdom coming? And Jesus gives them an answer about the manner of the kingdom. What's the manner of the kingdom? He talks about its process. Look at verse number 20. He says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be what? Observed. You see that word that may be translated observed in your Bible? That's the only time that Greek word is used in the New Testament. And it's interesting what the word often meant was a diagnosis. Now, who wrote this gospel? Luke. What's his profession? He's a doctor. He uses this very technical word that Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is not coming in a way that you can diagnose it. You can't quantify the kingdom. You can know it, you can experience it, but you can't measure it. You can't put it under a microscope. You can't test it in a test tube. Now notice he says it's not just something about the process of the kingdom. He says, I want you to make sure you understand the location of the kingdom. What did they ask? When is the kingdom coming? He says, you won't be able to observe it. And he says, let me tell you where it's really located. Look at verse 21. He says, do not go looking for the kingdom. When they say, look here or over here, he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's in the midst of you. And again, here's Luke. The only time... This word that's translated in our Bibles, in the midst, the only time that word is used is used here by Luke. And it, it, it can mean a couple of things. It, it can mean that the location is in your midst, it's among you or it's within you, inside of you. Now, Jesus knows people are all worked up about the kingdom of God at this time. And he knows that's going to continue. And he says there's going to be people that will say, look here, look there, there's the kingdom over there. No, this is the kingdom of God. You see this happening over here? This is the kingdom. That's what this is all about. And Jesus makes it very clear that what was happening then and had happened would be happening to this very day. That there will be people who are cultic teachers. They are leading people astray. They're making, they're making themselves out to be false messiahs with false messages. And they're saying they represent the kingdom. Or they're saying, you know, there's new revelation. It's good you've got the Bible, but there's another book you need. Read this book, read this pamphlet. You'll get more that you need to know about the kingdom of God. Some of these folks may have showed up on your doorstep. Jesus said, don't pay attention to that. 
He said the kingdom of God, the location of the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now that can mean one of two things. It can mean within you or it can mean right in your presence. And both are taught in the New Testament. Both ideas. But here he's speaking to the Pharisees. So it's very clear he's not saying to the Pharisees, hey, the kingdom of God is inside of you. Uh, they weren't carrying the kingdom around inside of them. What is he saying? He's saying the kingdom of God is in your midst right now. What does he mean? The king is standing in front of you. You want to know where the kingdom is? The kingdom is wherever the king is. And the king is right here. They're blind to him. But that's what he's saying. They are standing in the presence of the king. But now this is very important, brothers and sisters, to listen carefully. When we talk about the kingdom of God today, where is the kingdom of God today? The kingdom of God is within you. The Holy Spirit has been sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. All who believe in Him are born again. And God comes to live and reign in their hearts. And the kingdom of God comes into people's hearts. And the kingdom of God is not some place that you can go. It's not some objective reality. It's not brick and mortar. The kingdom of God is where the Spirit of God has given people life and made them one in the king's family. That's the kingdom of God. Now, that's the real kingdom. And I want you to understand something. Just because the kingdom is spiritual doesn't mean it's not real. How many of you understand the most real things you can ever think about are not visible? The visible things are temporary. What's the Bible says? Say, the eternal things are invisible. The kingdom is is not a state of mind. The kingdom really exists. As a matter of fact, Jesus went preaching the good news of the kingdom and telling people this is the time. The kingdom of God is here. And the Bible tells us earlier that people were pressing their way. They're pressing into the kingdom. They're coming to the king and they're coming into his kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God is not just something that you can join. You've got to be brought in by the king. Because Jesus said, I am what? The door. By me, if anyone enters in, he will be saved. It's very important to understand. You and I do not join the kingdom. There's one way into the kingdom. And Jesus told a Pharisee one night, how was the only way someone could get in the kingdom. And what did he tell Nicodemus? I like to call him Nick at night. <laughs> he said, Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. You're not getting into the kingdom unless you are born again. How are you born again? We sang it this morning. What did Jesus say? For God so loved. The world that he gave us. 
His one and only Son to save us. That whoever believes in Him lives forever. I love singing John 3.16. That's how someone comes in. Now, having made clear about His reign, He turns to His disciples and He wants to prepare them and protect them. This is a big transition here. He wants to prepare and protect his disciples. So look at verse 22. He said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not be able to see it. They will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out and follow them. He says, One day you will long for these days. I'm with you right now. And you will long to be with me, your king. But do not let your longing to be with me overwhelm your wisdom. When people say the kingdom is here, the king is there, do not listen to them. What is Jesus saying? Don't follow prophetic prophets. Don't follow prophetic prophets. What's Jesus saying? Don't follow prophetic prophets. Are you detecting a pattern here? Don't follow people who come and tell you they figured it out. Here's something no one else has seen for 2,000 years of the church. Here's some teacher who's got an illumination no one else has had. Here's a revelation. Here's a code. Here's a vision. The Lord says, don't listen to them. Don't follow them. So if Jesus warns us of false messengers and false message, then what's the truth about the kingdom and the return of the king that he wants to make sure we understand? So notice what Jesus says about his return. The return of the kingdom and the return of the king. Verse 24, he says, don't go following these false teachers. Because, here's the reality. As the lightning flashes and lights up the sky. From one side to the other. So it will be in the day of the Son of Man. But first... He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now listen carefully. This is the first time that Jesus gives to his disciples a hint of a truth which will be expanded in the rest of the New Testament. But he helps them understand that the return of the king, the coming of the king is going to be in two segments. The coming of the king is in two segments. Two very different appearings. We could say two advents. Okay? There's going to be the first... There's going to be one advent where he comes suddenly. How suddenly? Like lightning. Not some slow progression that everybody can observe and everybody can diagnose. No, the Son of God is coming suddenly like lightning. In glory. 
But also there's a coming, he says, of suffering and rejection. Look at verse 25. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now notice the order. First, suffering and rejection. And then, sudden glorification. Now this first suffering and rejection, listen carefully church, when Jesus says these words, that suffering and rejection is just down the road for him. It's just down the road at Jerusalem. And he is headed there. He is headed there as the king, clearly presenting himself as the Messiah. He will be rejected. We have no king but Caesar. Let him be crucified. And they kill the king of glory. They murder the maker of all things. Put him in a tomb. <laughs> but you can't keep the king of life dead. <laughs> he rose. He rose again. Jesus knows this is ahead of him. He says this must happen. You see that? Note that word must. It must happen. It's predetermined. It's, it's foreordained. That first, Jesus, the Son of God, must come and to bring His kingdom, to bring salvation, He must suffer many things. He must be rejected. Do you remember what Jesus said to His disciples? A couple of His disciples, He was walking with them on the road of, uh, to Emmaus after His resurrection. You remember this? We'll get there in Luke 24. He disguised Himself. And they're all moping and downhearted because they had thought this was the promised one. And Jesus walks with them. And then finally, Jesus says to them, he's still disguised. He says, oh foolish ones, and slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter his glory. First the cross. And then what? The crown. First the cross. Then the crown. And my friend what a day it's going to be. When Jesus comes as the one with. King, he was king of kings. Lord of lords. And he is crowned with what? Many crowns. Verse 24. And he is coming like lightning. Flashes. Lights up the sky from one end to the other. You see, what we're learning here, listen church, listen carefully about the kingdom. As followers of Jesus, right now, we are, we are living between the two advents. The king came, he suffered, was rejected, crucified, rose again, ascended back to heaven. His first coming. But now... The everlasting hope, he's coming again in power and great glory. And we, as his people, live between these two comings. This is something that was never revealed in the Old Testament. 
It's the mystery that Paul talks about. What's the mystery? Not something that could have ever been understood, something God revealed to Paul and the apostles. What's the mystery? That the kingdom of Christ would not just be Jewish, but of all tribes and peoples, of all nations, everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved and will become part of His new community. Because in Him there is no Jew or Gentile, bond nor free. There's no divisions that are man-made that separate us. We are one new community in Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the kingdom. What did Jesus say? It's this new community that we are. We are sharing the good news that the King has come. He offers salvation and He's coming again. And we want people to join us. And he didn't come for the good. He came for those who need to be saved and know it. Now, I want you to consider this quickly. There's three questions. They're not asked, but Jesus goes ahead and answers them. Isn't that nice of Jesus? He doesn't even wait for somebody to ask them. He knows. So he says, here's three questions. Let's look at the first two quickly. Number one, what will the world be like when Jesus returns? What will the world be like when Jesus returns? Number two, how should his followers be living until he returns? Number one, what will the world be like when Jesus returns? Well, Jesus reaches back to history to speak prophecy. He says, here are two historical prophetic examples of what the world will be like when the king comes. Verse 26 to 30. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man, the appearing of the king. They were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, here's the second example. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man comes. Now friends, notice this. Jesus is using historical examples. And let me just put this in. This is just a side note, but it will help you. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say, church. Do not be deceived. Jesus said Noah and Lot were historical people. The days of Noah, the days of the Son of Man. The days of Lot, the days of the Son of Man. Noah and Lot are not myths. They are real people, historical people. These are historical events. Jesus believed them and testified of them. What am I saying? Be absolutely careful 
of people who tell you it doesn't matter if you really believe these things in the Old Testament. You know, this thing about a man being swallowed by a whale or a woman turning into a pillar of salt. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I mean, you know, we're so advanced, you know. You, you know, it's not important you believe that. Just believe in Jesus. My friend, Jesus believed in Noah. He believed in Lot. He believed in Adam and Eve. And he said there was a man who was swallowed by a whale. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus believed the word of God. Do not follow those who are giving a deceitful message. Oh, you know, we follow Jesus. Those red letters in the red letter Bible. But all the rest of that, that's not important. Jesus didn't agree with that. So you got to decide, oh, let me, let me figure this out. Is the author of this book I'm reading right or is Jesus right? Just saying. <laughs> Noah and Lot are prophetic expressions and their days are prophetic expressions of what the lifestyles will be. What's he saying? <laughs> He's just saying, before the flood, people just living it up. Oblivious to the judgment of God hanging over them. What's he mean about the days of Lot, the people of Sodom, giving themselves over to every form of immorality and ungodliness and thinking, hey, it's okay. It's all right. It's acceptable. Look at us. Look how prosperous we are. Look at this land around us. And they did not realize that as Jonathan Edwards said, they were sinners in the hands of an angry God. And they were deceived to think that the delaying of God's wrath is the same as the defraying of God's wrath. My friend, let me tell you why God delays His wrath. Peter tells us, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is the patience of God, just like for the 120 years that Noah was building the ark and giving a message. It's the patience of God. But that does not mean that God has a different opinion of sin. The Bible says He hates it. And that judgment will come on people because of it. And Jesus makes this solemn prophecy. Listen to Jesus. This is his solemn prophecy. Verse 30. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Just like people were living it up in the days of Noah and God shut the door. And the judgment came. Just as people were living it up in Sodom and Gomorrah. The very day that God brought the judgment. He says that's what it's going to be like. People will be living oblivious 
to their mortal and immortal danger of a holy God. The second question then, Jesus doesn't ask, but he answers it. How should we, the followers of Jesus, be living in light of the fact that he's coming? Like lightning, how should we be living? Well, I want you to see he gives a good example, a good, he gives a good way to prepare by remembering a bad example. What's the bad example? Look at verse 31. On the day, on that day, let the one who's on the housetop. What's the day? The day of the, the return. He says, let, let the one on that day on the housetop with his goods in the house. Don't let him come down to take them away. Likewise, let not the one who's in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. What's, what's Jesus saying here? He is saying, because I'm coming like lightning. Don't be a person who's all wrapped up in the goods of this life. Don't, don't be like Lot's wife. Who, yes, the angels are having to, they're dragging her and her husband and her two daughters out of Sodom. And she turns back. Why? Because that's where her heart is. Her heart is still in Sodom. She's turned to a pillar of salt. And Jesus said, here's the principle. Understand, don't seek to preserve your life. This way, don't try to make life here on the planet what is really most important because the one who loses his life, he releases his life to Christ, he will find it. That's the one who's seeking to control his life and do the things that are his interests, that person will lose it. What's Jesus' point? Here's Jesus' point. If you love the world and if you live for the things of the world, you will lose everything. That's what he's saying. If you love the world and you live for the things of this world, you will lose everything. However, there's the blessed reverse. The flip side. If you love the Lord... And you live for the things of the Lord in this life, you will gain everything. What was it that young man wrote in his journal who a few years later became a martyr taking the gospel to the Alka Indians? Jim Elliott. What did he write in his journal as a young man? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to what? Gain what he cannot lose. You're not a fool. If you release the things you can't keep to gain the things that you can never lose. Now I said there were three questions. Here's the first two. What will the world be like when Jesus returns? And how should we, as followers of Jesus, be living when he returns? But then here's the third question. What will happen to people when Jesus returns? 
What will happen to people when Jesus returns? In a word, here's the word. When Jesus returns, it's a return of judgment. A judgment that begins in separation. Notice there's a separation here. Verse 34, I tell you, in that night. Isn't it interesting? In one verse, Jesus says, in the day. And the other, he says, it's in the night. Well, is he coming in the daytime or the nighttime? Yes. <laughs> it's going to be daytime for some people. It's going to be nighttime for others. But he's coming. And what's going to happen? When he comes, he says there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, another will be left. Now notice what's going to happen. One will be taken. Now listen carefully. This, in this passage, in context, is not talking about the rapture. It's not talking about believers being caught up to be with the Lord in the air. That's true. And that's what the Bible is going to share with us in the New Testament. But here, Jesus is not talking about being taken in the rapture. He's talking about judgment. Being taken in judgment. Think of what this means. Some people will be working in their office. Jesus comes, His power and glory. Some taken to judgment. People lying in bed, night. The Lord comes. Husbands taken in judgment. What, what's, what's Jesus saying here? He's, he's saying there's going to be this great separation. That's what he's trying to get across. That there are those who are not ready. When the king comes, they're going to be facing judgment. There'll be this separation. There's a great separation coming. What did Jesus say? The sheep from the goats. The wheat from the tares. But then he says it'll be a judgment that not only brings separation, it also brings salvation. Notice, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding, one will be taken and another left. Again, in the context here, what's Jesus talking about? Some will be taken in judgment, but those who are his followers and know him... They're not going to be, the idea is here, they're not going to be left behind. They're going to enter the kingdom. They're entering the kingdom of God. As Jesus will say in Matthew 25, 14, Come those who are blessed by my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Now let's make sure we're clear here. I fully recognize what the Bible tells us as Christians to be looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? That is going to happen. But that's not Jesus' point in this passage. 
Don't press the details here. What Jesus is saying is there's going to be a separation. And some people are going to be taken to judgment. And others will enter the kingdom as Jesus said, Come, you blessed of my Father, and enter the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There will be judgment. It will be a judgment of separation and salvation. But now look at a strange verse. It's a weird verse. It is a judgment that is set and certain. Verse 37. (laughs) You can imagine if you were one of the disciples, what would you have asked? Where, Lord? Where have they been taken? Where, Lord? (laughs) And Jesus just clarifies everything. (laughs) Where the corpse is... There, the vultures will gather. Claire's a bell. <laughs> I was laughing this week, and Susan reminded me. I'd, I'd forgotten it. I'd put it out of my mind. It was so difficult. Bless you, Susan, for reminding me of it. Okay. I was, one day, several years ago, I was going to have a, a test where you know, maybe some of you had it where they're going, to, they're going to examine, make sure everything intestinally is okay. And you prepare for that wonderful experience. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, oh, just wait. It tastes great. And the results are amazing. But I'm having to wait to go to outpatient. I'm at the house. I'm having to wait to go to outpatient, to be put under sedation, to have this test. I look outside our bedroom window, and there is a tree that recently died, and it is covered with buzzards. (laughs) Okay. And I'm telling you, they're looking at me. I know they're looking at me. That's a true story. It totally freaked me out. But what's Jesus saying here? Listen carefully. He's using a proverb of something he's saying. What I've just told you is so true, it's just self-evident. Here's the pro- it's like this. As certain as vultures circling around dead bodies is the judgment that's coming that will encircle those who are in spiritual death. That's what it means in this context. It's a proverb. As certain as the vultures circling around a dead body is the circling of judgment around those who do not love and serve God. My friend, one of the most merciful things that can ever happen to you from God is to begin to feel and sense in your heart the vultures are circling. No one is saved until they become lost. There was a wonderful pastor in Philadelphia. His name, Donald Gray Barnhouse. He's one incredible set of 
books on Romans. He wrote some of them. He was on the radio 40, 50 years ago. Great teacher, wonderful man of God. He went to visit a man in the hospital one time who was critically, critically ill. He had witnessed to this man many times over the years and the man was an agnostic. The man ridiculed his faith in Jesus. He ridiculed the gospel, but he was on Pastor Barnhouse's heart, so he went to the hospital. He stood by the man's bed, began to talk to him about the Lord and the gospel, and the man laughed at him and ridiculed him from his bed. And this is what Donald Barnhouse did. He went over to the corner, he got a chair, and he put it right up next to the head of that bed, and he sat down, and he just got real close and looked at that man. And he didn't say anything. And finally the man said, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm just sitting here watching you because I've never seen someone die without Christ before. And I want to see what it's like. That word struck that man's heart. And he began to weep. And now, knowing that death was near, his heart was open to the gospel. He was gloriously converted. Amen. Let me tell you, there's two kinds of conditions. And you're in one of these two conditions today, my friend. There's two kinds. One are those who are already but not yet. You're already a citizen of the kingdom, but you're not in the kingdom yet. You're not, you're not physically in the kingdom, but you're already a citizen. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Already. But just not yet experienced. And if you are a Christian, that's what you are. Already. But not yet. All that you're going to know and experience. But there's another group, and there are some here this morning. There are some watching. This group is almost, but not quite. Almost, but not quite, like Lot's wife. Almost saved. Almost. The angels of God around her, pulling her. A husband pleading. Family to live for. The fire already starting to fall and judgment all around. Almost. But not quite. And my friend, to be almost saved is to be completely lost. Let's bow our heads. How do we enter the kingdom? Let me tell you, we enter the kingdom just as we are. We enter the kingdom coming to Jesus, owning our sin, owning our death, and trusting in Him and Him alone. Oh friend, he, the door is open like it was in Noah's ark. The, the door is open. Jesus is the door. He says, come to me and you will enter the kingdom. You, I will be your king, but you must come as you are. 
Don't try to make yourself better. Don't try to satisfy my, my Father's demands. You can't do it. That's filthy rags. But just come as you are. I have died for you. I suffered for you. I gave my life on the cross as a full payment for your pardon. Now come to me. Oh, friend, don't be almost but lost. Be one of those who is already, but not yet, right? And can be saying from your heart, even so, what? Come, Lord Jesus. 